This morning we are going to turn back to Second Peter. Uh, if you've got a Red Pew Bible, it starts on page 1018. And we'll be in chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, to those who obtain, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up. By way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is so much in that passage, um, and Dave opened it up a little bit last week. Uh, this week we are really going to focus on uh, this this piece that starts in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We're really going to focus on this piece that commands us to supplement our faith. So in order to go there a little deeper, I'd like you to turn over to James. It's just Two books back, two books back toward the beginning of the New Testament. And First Peter is pretty short, so if you just flip a few pages, you'll be in James. And just turn to James chapter 1 for me, please. We'll be in the first couple of chapters. So Dave sort of laid the groundwork for faith last week. And this week we're going to dive in just a little deeper, like I said, into this piece about supplementing our faith. Um, I know that every church likes audience participation moments. Uh, I know that you thrive on them and you hope that they're every week. So we're going to have one. Uh, <laughs> what is faith? 
There's no wrong answer. Just <laughs> Not that. Just don't don't look at that. You got me back there. What is faith? When you think faith, what is it? Belief. Belief. Without direct belief, without direct evidence. What else? Trusting in it. Anything else? I wonder how long I should stand here and wait and see. Well, as you saw in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, we see that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's two words in there that really stick out to me in that truth. Assurance and conviction. They're underlined up there, so they probably stick out to you too. Um, It's just going to go like that today, isn't it? Uh, Assurance is so much deeper than just knowing something. It's so much deeper than just um, a, a, a mental assent or understanding of something. When you're assured of something, you... You know it at a deeper level. And I think that that leads to this conviction word, the conviction of things unseen. I mean, when I hear that, I think more than just um, I, I know about things unseen. I've heard about things unseen. Conviction tells me that um, almost that I've experienced things Unseen. There's something much more personal about that conviction word that I know at the core of myself that there are things going on right now that I can't see, that are greater than me, that are um, in, in an area that, uh, to be quite honest, I don't completely understand. But I know that they're there. I know that's going on. I know there's a plan in place all the time that's much bigger than anything I could hope for. The assurance of things hoped for, the assurance, the the core knowledge that I will be provided for, that my family will be provided for, and the conviction of these things not seen. There's a difference between just head knowledge or mental agreement and, and these things. Last week we uh, talked a little bit. Dave had a great analogy of a backpack, um, and you know you lay out all these things that that you you hope are going to get you through a week. And um, though, you know, in the face of a bear, the backpack gets a lot emptier. I would think. Anyway. Um, but you hope it's going to get you through a week. But you don't know if those things are going to get you through a week until you do what? Until you go experience it. And you're forced to use all those things you crammed in there. You have no idea if they're going to last you, if they're really going to prove themselves true. And so I think a, a more, an even more simplistic definition of faith is 
using these things that God has given you for this backpack. We all have one. We all go through life with, with this backpack of things that God has given us, abilities, skills, relationships, all of these different things that God has put into our life. But if we don't ever use them, if we don't ever step out, then it um, we, we never know if, if they're proven true or not. I think the the biggest testimony in my life of this has been, uh, quite honestly, tithing. I didn't tithe for years. I knew about tithing. I had heard the verses about tithing that God said, test me in this and I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out a blessing on you such as the world has never seen. I knew all that. I knew all of it. But I never experienced it ever. And I came up with every excuse not to. And when my wife and I started to tithe, actually just coincidentally about the time I started coming to Olivet, God proved himself true. When we put our faith in the assurance that God would provide for our family financially, he proved himself true. Above and beyond what we expected. And this is not a story to try and guilt you into tithing or get you to tithe or anything like that. But this is the biggest testimony that I've seen in my life of something unseen providing for my family. It's been amazing. Every time we have a need, every time we have some unexpected expense, it is truly and literally provided for. It, it's amazing. That, that God loves me and my family so much that when we put our weight down on Him and on His Word, that He returns faithful. Now, this, this example, I'm going to warn you, will probably only work for most of the men in the room. But Indiana Jones, okay? Just go with me. The third Indiana Jones movie where he's searching for this holy grail, and there's this testing period at the end where he's got to go through all these different trials to get back to this room where the grail is, and there's a, there's, there's a part of the test where he comes out onto this ledge, and it's just a gap, and there's just nothing there. And there doesn't seem to be any way to get from this side to that side, but it's Indiana Jones, so you know he's going to do it. Um, so he grabs, like, handfuls of sand, and he just throws them out, and sure enough, there's this invisible bridge. And when he takes that first step, it's kind of like, <laughs> this could be the last step. Um, and we do that. We'll spend years grabbing handfuls of sand and throwing it out and just to make sure the bridge is there. But the thought of taking that first step is nerve-wracking. And and it scares you. And so you don't do it. I mean, I've shared lots of times. The first two times I was asked to go into a prison, I said, no way. That is not a good idea. And the third time, uh, God sent somebody that he knew I would listen to, and it sounded like a great idea. I, I, I don't understand. But from the time that I took that first step, all of a sudden I realized that, the rest of the steps were 
a little bit easier. But the first step was really, really hard. Because faith is hard. It's not easy. It's hard. Faith is mentioned 250 times in the Bible. Um, Some translations, uh, a little more, some just a little bit less. A lot of that is in the New Testament. Because these New Testament writers are trying to get people to understand, their peers to understand how crucial it is to put their faith in this knowledge, to put their weight down on this knowledge that someone has freed them from this world, freed them even from death, to come alive. As we noted earlier, a little bit earlier in the service, faith is a gift. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul says, you've been saved by your faith, not by anything you've done on your own or could do on your own, but you've been saved by grace through your faith in that grace. You put your weight down on that grace and on that knowledge that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he conquered death for you so that you can have eternal life and you've been saved through that. I think the first time I really had to, since we have so many college students home for summer, first time I really had to deal with that was when I went to college. My parents dropped me off at Purdue on Saturday and on Sunday morning they were gone. And they were cheering and playing loud music, and I'm not sure what that was about. But um, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it was something good. Um, but no one was getting me up on Sunday and saying, uh, hey, it's time to go to church, you need to start getting ready. No one was saying, hey, uh, there's a youth group activity on Sunday night or next Saturday or on Wednesday. No one was saying those things. It was up to me to seek those things out. That didn't always happen. That didn't always happen. I found a lot of other things to do in the midst uh, of those uh, four, some of my years, um, to, <laughs> and I'm not even a doctor, um, to do instead of seeking out Christian community, instead of seeking out church. I found a lot of other things to do at times. But I had to say, okay, This is what my parents believed, but what do I believe? And how strongly do I believe it? And do I believe it strongly enough that I'm going to seek out Christian community in my environment? That's the first time that I really had to examine what I believed because I had all kinds of people telling me to believe all kinds of things and not to believe all kinds of things. And which direction was I going to go? And so I think that's what Peter is getting at when he talks about supplementing our faith. When I think of supplementing something, I think of making it stronger, of building in support, of building in foundation. So when we go to James, I think that James connects these pieces of faith and works. There are some people who believe that James preaches this works-based faith, and I was there for a while. I was absolutely there. 
Um, but in deeper study of James, I don't think he goes against this this thing in Ephesians that Paul says that we've been saved by grace through faith and not by our works. I don't think that James is going against that. I think what the book of James is saying is don't just read God's word, but do what it says. Put your weight down on it. Experience it so that you can know that it's real and your life will be transformed forever. Once you know it's real, it changes everything. I think, uh, and I, I, I think if, if I was one of the disciples and I saw the risen Christ, I would have to think, oh my gosh, it was all real. Everything he said was real. And we see in the book of Acts that their lives were transformed forever. I mean, just the, transfor- the transformation of Peter that we've studied in the last year or so, is, is, it's amazing. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, doesn't Peter say, in Second in, in Peter, doesn't he say to supplement our faith with steadfastness? It's amazing how Scripture sort of interprets Scripture so many times. But this is a hard verse. James is saying that our trials, our hardships, and our brokenness will result in steadfastness. That's a good thing to say. But the hard truth of this verse is that tragedy does happen. That trials do happen. And at times, quite frankly, it's really hard to see God working uh, through our tears. It's really, really hard. And we can sit and tell ourselves, well, this is going to increase my faith. And this is going to produce steadfastness. And I'm going to be stronger on the other side of this. But we don't tell ourselves that in those moments. We can't even see that a lot of times in those moments. And it's hard. Faith is hard. Faith can be easy at times when things are going really well. But when things take a dip, and they will, faith gets really, really hard. And James 1, down in verses 5 and 6, James tells us, To ask God, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James says, ask God with this full assurance that God is going to provide, and he'll provide. But when you waver, when you doubt that God is really there, that God is really existing, it doesn't sometimes happen. But that's not because of God. That's because of us. And I'm not saying, don't, don't misinterpret me as saying, don't ever doubt, and if you doubt, you're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. That's not where I'm going. But what I'm saying here is that when you have that assurance and you have that conviction of things unseen, 
that your prayer life changes. Because you pray for these things knowing that they're going to happen. I'm going to share something with you. Um, there's a guy named, some of you may know who he is, there's a guy named Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is huge in the atheist culture. Um, Dawkins is almost looked at as a type of prophet in the atheist culture if, if they believe in that sort of thing. But, um, but he's written a lot to propagate atheism. Dawkins says this, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no other good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. That's hopeless. That's hopeless. You're just a bunch of cells. You're just a bunch of DNA. There's no purpose. There's no plan. Um, you're going to get hurt. Sometimes you may get lucky. Sometimes things may go well. Uh, try to enjoy it until it ends. That's hopeless. In my mind, that's. I'm afraid to put my foot down on this thing because it might fail me. In James chapter 2, if you flip the page in chapter 2, verse 5, James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? James says there is a plan. And God has promised the poor in the world to be rich in faith. The poor in the world are rich in faith because they don't have anything else. And they know that that God can provide. The poor in the world have seen, some of us have seen, we can't provide for ourselves the way God can. And I think that's what James is saying here in the first chapter about producing steadfastness. Is that in these valleys we learn that God can provide in amazing ways. Even through a stick. Um, God can provide in amazing, amazing ways. Those of us that have been on Kairos weekends have watched God provide through chocolate chip cookies. Something so many of us take for granted. And God provides tremendous love through cookies. Through cookies. Curtis, incidentally, has made some food in prison that I think brought me closer to the Lord. Um, You can talk to Curtis about that. Um... But I think we have to make a distinction here, a small distinction. What kinds of things do we put our faith in? We put our faith in politicians. We put our faith in money. We put our faith in retirement plans. We put our faith in our employers. We put our faith in a lot of things. Just like we've talked a thousand times about how we use the word love and even hate. We love all kinds of things. I made ribs on Memorial Day, and I love those ribs. They were good. 
But what kinds of things do we put our faith in? You know, we put our faith in, in politicians. And I'm here to tell you, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care who you choose in November. But whoever they are, they're not going to save this country. They're not going to save this world. They're not going to save you, and they're not going to save me. There's only one person who's ever been on this earth who can do that. And we put our faith in money. And we think that if it runs out, then we won't be provided for anymore, so we've got to have a lot of it to make sure we're provided for. But money will run out. It comes and it goes, like the wind. We put our faith in retirement plans. And I'm not, I'm not saying retirement plans are necessarily a negative thing. But where do you put your faith? And who is providing that money? And who's providing that retirement plan? And who's providing that provision for you and your family? Is it your employer? Or is it God? Is the money his to begin with? Or is it yours? Or has God given you those skills so that you can make that living, so that you can provide for your family? And so really, it's all his anyway. And when you put your faith down on that, and God is in complete control, and God is sovereign in your life, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of testing, your life transforms. This is where we make that distinction between faith and saving faith. Because the only faith in this life that will save you is faith in Jesus Christ and Him crucified for your sins. That's the only faith that will save you. People will fail you. We've all failed. Every one of us in this room has failed somebody in our lives. Probably a few somebodies. And every single one of us has been failed by somebody and probably a few somebodies. But you know who's never failed me? It's Christ. It's never happened. There were times where I thought he did. And then when I was able to step back, sometimes years later, he never failed me. I just stopped looking. I turned away. James goes on to say that in, in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is simply saying what Jesus had already preached so profoundly that our faith should show up in how we live our lives. I heard Tim Keller say this this week, actually, on a, uh, on a podcast. He said, Christians are not only supposed to be Christians in their private life, but as Christians, we are supposed to integrate our faith with our work and let our faith transform our work so that it actually ends up having an effect on how human life is lived in the world. Does your faith go that far? Because I'm telling you, on a lot of days, my faith stops at the door of Trailer Brothers. And I pick it back up when I come out. And I keep trying to get it one more step in the door and one more step in the door and one more step in the door. And some days that's all I can do. 
And I think that's what Keller is saying here, and that's what James is saying, is your faith should bear fruit in your life so that it can transform your life and begin to transform those around you. God told Abraham, essentially, if you'll partner with me, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. Our faith frees us from fear and doubt to do amazing things in the kingdom of God. When we put our faith down, God can create our comfort zone. So what do you do this morning if you are listening to me and you're here and you find yourself with no faith? Because we've all been there. But a lot of mornings I've come in here and not wanted to be here for various reasons. But faith can be asked for. Faith is a gift. Just just like salvation is a gift. And faith can be asked for in prayer. A.W. Tozer said one time in this really neat way, I think, a really gentle way, that he says, you know, sometimes... All you can pray is, God, just give me the desire to desire you. Sometimes that's the only prayer you can pray. Is, God, just help me to want you today more than I want me. In in Mark chapter 9, Jesus tells a parable, a story, about a father who brings his sick child. No, he doesn't tell a story. Sorry, there is a story in Mark 9 where, where a father brings his sick child to Jesus And Jesus asked the man if he believes that the child can be healed. And the man replies, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's an okay prayer to pray. John Piper says, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths. Take these truths. And day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Spend time alone with God and preach these things to yourself in your mind. Tell yourself every day these things that you know to be true until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Because faith is a treasure. It's a treasure. In Matthew, Jesus does tell a parable where he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. This comment from Tim Keller about Christians bearing fruit in their lives is just that right there. Faith changes everything. Once you put your foot down on that first step and you realize that it's all real, some of us have been sitting in church our entire lives and are afraid to take that step. And you take that first step and you realize it's all real and everything changes. Everything changes. You never see the world the same way. Because we're told that a mustard mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. I haven't moved any mountains lately. 
And somehow, I don't think that's God's fault. I think I limit my faith. Because when I pray for healing for someone or when I pray for God to provide, I always leave this out in the back of my mind. And maybe I'm the only one, but it seems like all the time I have this out for God in the back of my mind in case he doesn't show up. Then I can go, well, it just just wasn't God's will. And we use that phrase for a lot of things. Instead of praying faithfully and knowing that God loves me and knowing that I am a child of God and knowing that God will take care of me and God will provide what I need. Not always what I want, but what I need. I sometimes pray half-heartedly. Because like I said, faith is hard for everybody. If you're here this morning and you think that every other person in this church, every other person in these pews has it all together and you're the only one struggling today, you're wrong. Because there's at least one other of us that's struggling up here. Because faith is really hard for a lot of us. Because trust is really hard. Trust is countercultural today. Trust in God is completely countercultural today. Trust in. Can I get it off? Probably can't. Trust in another human being for the rest of your life is completely countercultural today. And if this is countercultural, then trust in something you can't even see, trust in a man who lived 2,000 years ago and claimed to be the Son of God and claimed to die for our sins is completely and totally offensive to our culture. But it will change your life. So how do you trust in something you can't see? I think of Peter walking on the water. And he was able to walk for a short distance while he was able to ignore everything going on around him. And I think for many of us, our lives feel just like that. Our lives feel like this raging sea going on, and there's all these things going on around us, and we're trying to watch Jesus. There's a song that we've sang a couple of times uh, called It Is Well, and there's a, there's a short lyric in that song that says, so let go my soul and trust in him because the waves and wind still know his name. And we forget that. We forget that he created it all in the first place. And we make our trials so much larger than he is. And they're not. And we forget how big God is. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you take nothing else away, know that God is big enough to hold you and whatever you have going on today. If you don't know that this morning, please know that because he is. He really is. It's not just a kid's story. I get teased all the time because I no longer believe in flannel boards. But it's not just a flannel board story. It's really true. It's really, really true. 
And if you find yourself this morning in a place where you just can't quite get there, take a step this week. Just take a step. Trust God with something this week. And I'll bet he proves faithful. Trust him with the relationship. Trust him with your kids. Trust him with your parents. Trust him with your finances. Whatever you, whatever you want to do, trust him with one thing. Take one small step. And I'll do it too. And next week we can come back and we can tell one another about all the things that we saw God do. And it'll be amazing if we do it. Pray with me. Worship team, you can come on up. Oh, Father. Life can be a real challenge. And trust can be an even bigger challenge. Um, Especially if we have been betrayed many times, as many of us have. And we've, we've never been betrayed by you. But for some reason, these human relationships that betray us, um, they bleed over into our relationship with you, God. And we know that you are the only source of anything good and perfect in this world. And we love you. And we thank you so much for your word today and for being present with us. God, we just ask for the strength and the courage this week to step out just a little bit. Step out of the boat just a little bit. And God, we know that you will prove faithful as you always do. We pray this in Jesus' name.